Listener Production. Hello and welcome to a post-election briefing. It is Monday the 23rd of May. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Katrina Blouse after a very interesting election result, Katrina. Yeah, interesting, remarkable, potentially game-changing for the political landscape. A big loss for the Liberal Party, big gains for the Independents and Greens and, of course, a new Labor government. I know at the beginning of the campaign they said people didn't know me, but I reckon they've got it. (laughs) Well, they'll have to. That's your new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese. Um, We're going to go deep with Annika Smethurst in today's briefing to find out why the Liberal Party lost so many votes. First, here are today's headlines. Anthony Albanese will be sworn in as Australia's 31st Prime Minister this morning. He'll head to the Governor-General's residence along with four senior colleagues. So Jim Chalmers will become Treasurer, Katie Gallagher, Finance Minister, Penny Wong, Foreign Minister and Richard Miles, Deputy Prime Minister. So this is sort of a small cabinet that is signing up quickly because Anthony Albanese and Penny Wong have to fly to Japan later today for the Quad meeting um, and that's with the leaders of Japan, the US and India. So those four ministers mentioned will take care of all of the portfolios for now and then they'll announce a full cabinet later. Yeah, straight into the fire, hey. They'll uh, likely discuss a major new package on Southeast Asia, including more aid and the threat of climate change in the Pacific. Labor is increasingly confident they will rule with the majority government. At the time of recording this, they've secured 72 seats, four seats short of what they need. But counting continues with 12 seats still too close to call. Yeah, and the Labor victory has brought happy tears for the Tamil asylum seeker family who've been stuck in immigration limbo for the last four years. This is the family that have been trying to get back to the Queensland country town of Biloela. Labor promised they would, so they are watching this result very closely and are expected to go back to that community quite soon. Conservative Liberal Peter Dutton is the front-runner for opposition leader following Scott Morrison's resignation as leader. The Liberal Party in crisis. They've lost six seats to Teal Independence. Yeah, that was one of the most interesting parts of this election. So North Sydney, Wentworth, McKellar, they're all Sydney seats. Um, They went down to the Teal Independence. So did Goldstein and Curtin as well as the former Treasurer's seat in Kuyong, Josh Frydenberg. Australia has not been well served by the cultural wars uh, on climate change. Yeah, Frydenberg also owned up to the Coalition's problem of not having enough women in the party. Well, we need to get more women into Parliament. Well, we've done that, but not through the Liberal Party, the Teal Independents. They're all women, so that's a really interesting dynamic mm. here. So the Liberal Party are trying to work out where to go from here. Um, the strongest contender for the leadership, as we mentioned, is Peter Dutton. But Simon Birmingham, a Liberal senator, has been out saying the party needs to shift in a more progressive direction and the National Party needs to rethink how far they're pulling the Liberal Party to the right. The National Party need to look at uh, where the Liberal Party has felt this pain and reflect upon uh, how it is that we together uh, can manage to form majority government in the future. Meantime, David Pocock, who we've had as a guest on the briefing, could become the first Territory Senator from an independent party. The former rugby great is on track to take Liberal Zed Seselja's seat for the nation's capital. Yeah, and I think that just highlights how big um, climate change has been a factor in this election, that so many of these Teal Independents plus David Pocock, um, as well as those Greens MPs that will be now taking up seats in Brisbane, have all been campaigning on a stronger climate policy. 
And that's going to be very interesting in, in the dynamic going forward, and I'm sure this will come up with Annika, that these independents are going to be able to put pressure on even the Labor Party to do more, which is a lot more than the Liberal Party were going to do. To other news now, an almost 2,500 Ukrainian soldiers who surrendered to Russia at a steel plant in the city of Mariupol will potentially have to face a tribunal in Russia. Russia said at the weekend it now has full control of the steel plant, which has been the site of fierce fighting between the two sides. Ukraine officials want the soldiers to be granted prisoner of war status and eventually return to Ukraine. Russia is pushing for them to face a tribunal over alleged war crimes. Some estimates say that as many as 20,000 civilians have been killed in Mariupol since the fighting began. Let's talk about monkeypox now. Uh, it is spreading around the world. This smallpox-like disease is currently in at least 12 countries, including Australia. It is a concern in the sense that if it were to spread, it's consequential. That's Joe Biden. So there's been two cases found in Australia, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne, while the US has said they have a vaccine that can protect against the virus. It's not a huge cause of concern yet. Um, People usually recover within four weeks without needing to go to hospital. It can be deadly, but it's much harder to spread than COVID and easier to contain. But obviously, Katrina, (laughs) the world's on high alert for any Mm. new diseases at the moment. And another world record has been broken at the Australian Swimming Championships. Ariane Titmus is now the fastest woman in the world at swimming the 400 metre freestyle. Can she get there? The world record's catching her. Come on, Ariane. Get there. Come on, go. She's yes. got a world record for Ariane Titmus. She's so amazing. That audio is from Amazon Prime. Um, she beat her longtime rival, Katie Ledecky's world record, by 0.06 seconds. I'm just having fun at training at the moment and, yeah, I'm swimming pretty well, so I'm happy with that. That's Ariane there. Meanwhile, the Commonwealth Games team has been announced and ex-pop singer Cody Simpson was selected as expected, but he did not make the cut on the team for the World Championships. Yeah, Kyle Chalmers didn't compete, announced that he needed time out of the spotlight for mental health reasons. And Swimming Australia say that Kyle has their full support after changing his mind about giving the spot to Simpson for the race. All right, in just a moment, Annika Smethurst joins us to pick over the bones of the election. So let's get deeper into the election result. The big headline news is the Teal Wave, which is the group of six professional female independents who took old-school wealthy Liberal seats. That'll mean a total of around 13 independents on a huge crossbench in the lower house. So that's a new dynamic, Katrina. Sure is. The other big story is the Greens doing very well, particularly in my neck of the woods in Brisbane. And the Liberal Party primary vote going backwards, almost 6%. Much worse in WA, where it went back 10%. Annika Smethurst is here to pick it all apart. Annika, thank you so much for joining us. Before we talk about those interesting dynamics we just mentioned... Do the Labor Party deserve some congratulations on their strategy here? They do. To win an election, how could you not? Anthony Albanese, you know, has been a member of the Labor Party for so long. He's sort of one of the veterans of Canberra. And to get there and his personal story, you know, the fact he was raised by a single mum that we all know in Housing Commission, it's incredible. You cannot take that away from him personally. I think the interesting thing is what happens at the next election. Yes, I'm already turning my mind to it. And that's because (laughs) Labor's primary vote actually did fall too. So, you know, where you had sort of a 6% swing against the coalition, if you take WA out of that, it was only a 2% swing 
you know, towards labour. You put in WA, it was 10%. It was huge over there. That was carnage. But in the rest of the country, both the major parties lost votes, which we've talked about before. It's been a trend since the 80s. But, you know, it's a lot of people not voting for the major parties. And a lot of the vote that fell away from the coalition didn't go to Labor, which is usually what we see. We see a uniform swing of whatever comes off the Liberals. Those sort of swinging voters jump on Labor and it just didn't happen. You've said so many times throughout this campaign that uh, oppositions don't win the election, uh, governments lose. So what do you reckon the main reason is for the LNP's loss? Again, I don't want to take anything away from Anthony Albanese, but it was the Scott Morrison factor. And Labor will tell you that too. You know, if you went out to vote on the weekend or even previously, you would have seen a lot of pictures, the core flutes, as we call them, those headshots of local members. Now, you, usually you'd see, you know, when it was Malcolm Turnbull, a lot of Liberals had a picture of themselves, the local Liberal, standing alongside Malcolm Turnbull. You did not see anything about Scott Morrison because his brand was really toxic and that's built up progressively over three years. It wasn't that he had a bad campaign. In fact, he had quite a good campaign relative to Anthony Albanese, but that was the major thing. Now, I think that's seen because um, people didn't jump on Labor. You know, they won, but their vote didn't massively increase. It was really people jumping off the coalition, people that should be Liberal Party voters and looking for another alternative. And that's how we've seen the rise of these teal independents. So what do you put Scott Morrison's sort of massive unpopularity down to? Um, You're saying he had a pretty good campaign, so obviously it goes way further back than that. And I think a lot of us watching it were thinking, well... Surely he's damaged, but I guess we we held fire because of 2019 and the way things could turn around. Yeah, the only credit I'll kind of give him is the fact that, you know, he was at the end of a long old government. You know, he is the third prime minister of this coalition government. They'd been there nearly 10 years. So even if they'd stuck with Abbott the whole time or stuck with Malcolm Turnbull, I think it would have been a hard task for anybody. Governments get tired, governments get old, and he was in the driver's seat. So there is a little bit of that factor. I think Labor were very good at um, building that perception, which <laughs> I think uh, the Prime Minister, the former Prime Minister and um, Scott Morrison helped, was that, you know, he wasn't there, he didn't hold the hose, he didn't have mm. empathy. And I think they managed to, I guess, um, really kick along and sell that perception through their advertising. And people felt that, people believed it. Now, whether it's true, we'll never know. You know, you don't often get to see the real Scott Morrison. I think there's definitely truth within that. He would be, I think, devastated to think that he was seen as that cold too. So I think that was a real problem for him. He couldn't shake it. And individually, I think I said along the way, these things didn't matter that much. You know, his handling of the women thing or the Hawaii thing, Individually, if they were just a one-off, I think he would have survived them. It just became this perception that he didn't rock up, that he didn't care, that he didn't know how to comfort in tough times. He wasn't there for the floods. You know, and some will say he had one of the most difficult prime ministerships between all the natural disasters we had and the pandemic. But you don't know what you dealt uh, in politics. Everyone gets sort of a terrible hand in many ways. Yes, maybe not a global pandemic. Um, and you've got to deal with it. And, you know, he obviously wasn't um, what Australia wanted in those times. We had some really different results across the, the different cities and also in different parts of the state. Looking at that big picture, what do you think drove those results? The two states that really turned against the government were Victoria and WA. And I think that you, you can't untie the pandemic to that. You saw the Prime Minister be a little... I guess direct. <laughs> I think he called people in WA cave people. And obviously we know he was uh, quite critical of the lockdowns in Victoria. And that's shown, you know, 
they're still counting. You, we haven't seen the results at the moment. But if you look at a map of the um, electorates around Melbourne, there's basically one blue seat left. It, you know, possibly there could be a few more. And that's Alan Tudge. Michael Suka, um, Chisholm with Gladys Liu, Josh Frydenberg, Katie Allen and Higgins, possibly Menzies, you know, these seats that usually you look out to the east of Melbourne, it's considered the posh leafy suburbs. They've traditionally been blue. The north working class and the west have always been red. That's how it's sort of worked. And there's a few that swing. That's just not the case. There is just, it's a labour city now. It's always been, you know, the socialist republic of Australia, Melbourne, but not to this extent. It's quite incredible. And the 10% swing Swings we saw, you know, in WA, that just cleared them out. So I think you can't untie the pandemic to that. And as well, we always assumed that in times of crisis that uh, people turn towards their leader, whether that be yeah. a terrorist attack or a pandemic. I think what that says is that's over. That protection isn't there for anyone anymore in Australia. People see the pandemic as in the past, whether it is or not. That is how they feel. They no longer feel like they're in crisis. Let's talk about the Greens because that was a surprise for many people on Saturday night that they did so well. So they're looking at picking up two or three extra seats. So that would either triple or quadruple um, the seats they have in the lower house. That's huge. Yeah, it's funny um, politics, isn't it? Because if you look at the swing to them nationally, it was 1.5%, but that can result in going from one seat to three seats, possibly more. So, you know, that's rather incredible. That's how sort of tightly stacked these numbers are. I think to me, they're the bigger story than the Teals because you couldn't open a paper or turn on the TV without seeing a story about Goldstein or Ku Yong. It was Teal Central, whereas the Greens did it quietly. And look, their vote nationally is about 11%. That's a bit up on, you know, what they would have had at any other election, but not greatly. You know, we usually say about 10% of people vote Greens. But what they're clever at is targeting it. You don't have to get more than 50% of the vote to be an MP, and that is never more true than this election. You just have to finish second or first, and then they go and get the preferences of everybody else. And if you've got enough people directing preferences at you, you only have to get like, you know, 20% really, and then you can sort of get over the line with all the preferences from your mates. So I think the Greens have been very clever at finding seats where it was a two-way tie between the Liberals and the Labor Party and just hoping they sort of, they all get 20% and they just finish above one of them. And that's what we've seen, you know. And interestingly, you know, we all have looked at Queensland for so long as this sort of, sorry, Queensland listeners. Oh, come on, be careful. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and Melbourne being the socialist republic, you know, that's how people see the world. And it's just not true. And you can't, sort of rule out the fact that Brisbane has been underwater for so long and the climate impacts that people have seen on their doorstep as the fact that the Greens have done well up there and not done that much better in Melbourne. Yeah, that that's actually because not only has have we had floods, but we've also had I think out of the the twenty one weekends of this year, we've had nineteen of them be completely washed out. Mm. Do you think people are starting to look at the weather and and think about climate, and that had an impact on their vote? Yeah, I don't think it's the only way uh, to care about the climate change. You know, Melbourne's had a wonderful time down here. We've had very good weather, um, more stable weather. And yet, you know, they've Adam Bant got returned and they might even pick up Melbourne ports. But, you know, you can't deny when your business is being closed or when, you know, you've been washed out that many weeks in a row that it's not just at front of mind. Um, and I think that was definitely a factor in this election. 
Yeah, so let's talk about the teal independence. Um, it's what everyone's talking about. So these are the professional women who took the liberal seats from the traditional uh, kind of wealthy, smaller liberal um, suburbs of mostly Sydney and Melbourne. Now, what I find interesting about these women and how successful they've been, Annika, is that what they're promising is all part of the Labor policies campaign and policy platform, stronger action on climate and an integrity commission. But it seems... The Labor Party wouldn't have been able to do this. They wouldn't have been able to win those seats. So what are the unique factors there? Why were these women able to do what a Labor candidate couldn't have done? Look, the only exception to that is Higgins, which has been uh, a very posh seat, blue ribbon seat, as they call it, in Melbourne. It was held by Katie Allen and Labor have picked that up. They have done it with preferences, though. Look, I think you're right overall, and this might sound very general, their candidates look like liberals, so they didn't scare people off. And this is a very old school way to see politics. But these parties used to be you're either young and professional and a business person, aspirational, and if you were born into one of those families, you voted liberal. If you were working class, um, member of a union, often Catholic, you voted Labor. These are old stereotypes, but they did last and they were stable in Australia for so many years. Now, that's shifting completely. You know, Labor pick up a lot of votes from people that aren't in the union now, and increasingly we're seeing tradies actually shift their vote to the coalition. I think why these women did well, and I think the picking of them was incredibly important. You know, you could put Teals and Independents and anyone that's voted would have seen that there is a long list. You know, there was many crackers from many parties running in my local seat. We had everything from socialists to UAP to a lot of people not from the two major parties. I think where they were very clever, the Teal women, um, especially women, was one, targeting women, because I think a lot of coalition voters are angry with the fact that people don't look like them as much. You know, it is a very male-dominated party. And you've heard that from Josh Frydenberg and, and Simon Birmingham in the sort of clear-up. They know they need more women. So these people looked like coalition voters. They were safe. They didn't seem like feral lefties, if that's a term I can look, you know, use. They look like people like them. They're professional, but they are promising progressive um, strategies. So they didn't scare people off, I think. People that have always voted Liberal, it's hard to shift their vote and you need to do it, need them to feel safe in doing it and that they obviously felt safe putting their vote to these women. Yeah, it's a really interesting new dynamic. As you say, I think it's a, it's about the backstory of these women, that they all had professional careers where a lot of um, Labor MPs traditionally have been career politicians, come up through the union movement or mm. um, advisors. Um, so this all mm -hmm. points to a lot more pressure on the Labor Party um, on climate policy from these independents as well as the Greens. I think that will be one to watch. We're out of time today, but thank you so much for joining us for this election debrief. No worries. So very interesting dynamic there as we discuss with the, these new brand of independence. It'll be interesting to see where the balance of power lies to see how much influence they really have in the lower house, Katrina. I'm also fascinated to see where the LNP leadership race takes us and if, you know, in the interest of a rebrand, they might decide to choose a woman over mm. Peter Dutton. So plenty of interesting, juicy little bits and pieces to watch over the next few days. Listener.